Because Satan has been vanquished because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Satan is vanquished. He is defeated. We have victory in Jesus. You know, have you ever noticed that when you really believe something, it changes how you do things? When there's genuine faith in something, it changes you. You don't just continue doing exactly what you did before when there's a genuine faith involved. I think it was David Wilkerson that said that too many Christians uh, accuse God of being a negligent parent. Um, and, I, and I think that's, there's a little bit of truth to that. And this is what I mean. My, my wife and I were at, uh, at a house this week, and, and a, a, an interesting thing was playing out before us, and I was in awe, frustrated awe, but uh, awe, all, all the same, as a little five-year-old and a two-year-old were running the house. And the mother was in this very interesting battle to try to get the children ready for bed. I'm kind of old school. I was kind of, you know, we raised our kids where you said, Jimmy, go get ready for bed. And then Jimmy got up and went and got ready for bed. That's not what happened in this house. It was, go get ready for bed. No, I'm not doing that. A five-year-old's not going to tell me, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> but that's what happened over and over and over, if you don't do this, you're not going to get to do that. If you don't do something right now, this one, I'm not telling you again. You know what she did? She told her again. And again. And again. And it was a big, long, crazy, drawn out mess. You know why there was no action? Because there was no faith. That child absolutely, both of them knew nothing was going to happen to them. If they didn't do what they were told to do. So because there was no faith, there was no reaction. There was no movement. Nothing took place. We, across our world today, there are people coming to churches just like this. And they are intellectually saying, I believe in God. And they're saying, you know, I went to church on, on Christmas and now I'm here for Easter. And so I'm good. Everything's fine. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm right where I should be with God. And the preachers are trying to bring across the reality of the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because that is the pinnacle of this thing. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now they will tell you, I believe that. But if there's a genuine faith in the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, you know what? There's a change in the way people live. You can't help but live different if you truly believe that Jesus came up out of that grave and rose from the dead. First Corinthians chapter 15, please. I want to look at some scripture. Because without scripture, we're wasting our time here. I actually went to a church service one time while you're turning there. First Corinthians chapter 15. I actually went to a church service where they never read a passage of scripture. He never quoted a passage of Scripture. He never, re, uh, he never inferred or, or in any way mentioned Scripture through the whole sermon. This was in an evangelical church in this area. Blew my mind. How do you go to church and preach without Scripture? <laughs> Doesn't really make sense to me. 1 Corinthians 15, are you there? It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. And that He was buried. Okay, so now He died. 
That makes him sinless. Did I, did I not give you the verse 3? Verse 3. You should have known Scripture so well that you knew immediately that I was at verse 3. We, we know that He died for our sins, according to Scripture, it says here. And that He was buried. Okay, this is pretty hopeless at this point. But that He rose again the third day. The climax of the whole thing. This is the whole... Everybody was defeated until that moment. Everybody was down in the dumps and wanting to go fishing until that moment. When Jesus Christ comes up out of the grave, it changed everything. And then he goes on to confirm it. Verse 5, it says, And that he was seen of Cephas, and then of the twelve. After that he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, for whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of the apostles, and last of all he was seen also of me, As one born out of due time. Father, give me the ability today, I ask, to plant into everybody the reality of who you are and what you've done. Lord, give me the ability, I pray, to take the gospel message to these people and make it real. And Lord, I pray that every heart and soul will be open to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Now, if the resurrection is real, and you don't live for God, you're a fool. I mean, I hate to put it that way, but that's true. If if the resurrection is not real, then Christianity is just another religion out there among many. This is what sets us apart. This is what makes a difference, is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, we can argue, and people have been arguing this ever since it happened, whether the resurrection was real or not. He goes through the list and he says, I appeared to Peter, I appeared to the 12, I appeared to the 500, I appeared to James, I appeared to all the apostles, and I appeared to Paul. Now here's the thing. You say there's no actual physical evidence of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I think there's a lot of evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If somebody came into Ion and decided to start a religion and they were some kind of dynamic preacher or dynamic leader or whatever and somebody shot him down in the middle of the street and he got up, that would be pretty impressive. But if somebody shot him down in the middle of the street and they hauled his body away and nobody ever saw him again, but somebody wrote in the Newport newspaper and said, yeah, he was shot in the street and he got up and he started preaching again, and he, he was seen of about everybody in town, you know what would happen? Reporters would show up here. And they would look for those 500. <laughs> and one of those, you know, one of them would get pretty frustrated when they said, you know, I've talked to everybody in Ione, and nobody saw him get up. They saw him die, but they did not see him get up. There is not one Out of hundreds, if not thousands, of historical writings on the event of Jesus Christ, there's not one that ever said, no, that didn't happen. I was there and it didn't happen. Not one person ever refuted it, historically. That's powerful right there. 
Because somebody would have said, no, it, yeah, no. You're claiming that, that we saw it, but we didn't see it. When Jesus appeared to the 500, that was powerful. And one of those 500 would have said, ah, no, mm-mm, I didn't see it. But they did see it. Now, see, there's something else that's very powerful in this, in this message. I read it in John earlier. And this doesn't seem significant initially, but it said that the women went to the tomb. They were the first ones at the tomb. And they were the first ones to come back and say, hey, Jesus has risen. Why is that significant? Well, I've told you many times, Christianity changed the way the world treated women. It was a blessing. Christianity is an incredible blessing on, on women and always has been. Because in the days of Christ, Women's word meant nothing. They could not testify. They were, their testimony meant nothing. So if they were making up this story, they would have said men went to the tomb first. And the men saw it first. But if they were making it up, if they were faking it, they would have never said that women went first. That's significant. That is an evidence. The reality of this came. The resurrection was preached in the same city that it all took place. You can't pull it off if, if you had Joe Blow out here and he's a great leader and shot down and, and then they whisk his body away and then claim that he resurrected. You can go to Paris and preach that and say, hey, it happened in Iowa, Washington, out in the United States. And the people in Paris might believe it. But you would never pass it by the people in Iowa. <laughs> it would never work here. They would say, they would know immediately this is a fraud. But this all happened in the same city. Right here together, in the same place, it is a powerful evidence. One person I read said, Jesus' disciples did not go to some obscure place where no one had heard of Jesus to begin preaching about the resurrection, but instead began preaching in Jerusalem, the very city where Jesus had died and was buried. Paul Atheist writes, The resurrection proclamation could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as fact for all concerned. Now, I, I have to admit, I'm kind of a conspiracy theorist at times. I like a good conspiracy. You know, 9-11 and Sandy Hook and John Kennedy. And, you know, I love to read and, and watch videos and all that. The thing that always gets me is like 9-11, Sandy Hook especially, those two, the magnitude of the conspiracy that would have had to go out for that to work. It would have been immeasurable. How many people, Sandy Hook, for example, the shooting at Sandy Hook, the school, so many people claim it didn't happen. I don't know. There's a lot of questions involved with it, but here's the thing. In order for that to be a conspiracy, you would have had to have... Law enforcement, I'm talking dozens of law enforcement officers would have had to cover the same lie, including the SWAT team. The whole school administration would have had to bend in on the lie. The parents would have had to bend in on the lie. The children would have had to bend in on the lie. The medical staff would have had. It would have been massive for that to have been a conspiracy. It's still fun to look at it and say, yeah. But my brain just says, it can't work. The conspiracy is too great. For Jesus' body to have 
have not been resurrected and come up out of that grave, it would have taken too much of a conspiracy to make that play out and work and be convincing to the people around. It's too great. There's too many people that would have been involved and somebody would have given it up because when you're facing death for a lie, it, you will tell the truth. The earliest Jewish arguments against Christian against the resurrection of Christ, Christ uh, the resurrection of Christ they never even argue that point. They never even argue the point of the resurrection or the empty tomb. They had come up with theories, the swoon theory, he just passed out. That's that's one of the theories. I can get into all these in depth and and refute them and all that. I'm not going to take time to do that. I'm just going to tell you what they are. What some of the major major ones of the swoon theory. Jesus was beaten mercilessly and hung on a cross and all that, but he really just passed out, got up, walked out. The stolen body theory. They believe that somebody just came and stole his body. The eaten by a dog theory. This is a serious theory. They explain the way Jesus' body not being in the tomb because a dog ate him. Hungry dog. And a big dog. Impersonation theory. All of these people saw Jesus walking around because it was somebody that looked just like him. Maybe he had a twin brother. I don't know. But what do all those theories have in common? They all admit that the grave is empty. <laughs> By their own arguments, they establish the fact that the tomb was empty. (laughs) I love it. They have to admit the very fact of what we're trying to say. Matthew 28, 11 says, And now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And they were, when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money to the soldiers. Get this. Saying, Say ye, the disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. We're talking about first century Roman soldiers. What would happen to them if they were sleeping on the job? Dead. Dead. So we want you, we're going to give you some money, we want you to publicly proclaim that you were sleeping. On the job. Oh, sure. Ugh. And if this come to the governor's ears, we will persuade him and secure you. So they took the money and did as they were taught, and the same was commonly reported among the Jews until this day. Here's the problem. (laughs) If they made up a story that somebody came and stole the body, you can rest assured that nobody came and stole the body. You don't make up a fake story to confirm a story that... Doesn't even make sense. You know, your kid, when you catch them in something, they don't lie to you with the truth. It doesn't work that way. There's an old ancient Jewish writing called the Toldoth Jesu. That even in that Jewish writing, in the most ancient Jewish writings of, of that day, they acknowledge that the tomb was empty. There's writings going clear back to that time period where a Jewish scholar was, was debating a Christian scholar. They weren't debating about whether the tomb was empty or not. They both agreed the tomb was empty. They were debating about why the tomb was empty. <laughs> Nobody denies historically that the tomb was empty. Jesus wasn't there. So why would they 
not, why would they admit that the tomb is empty unless the evidence was too strong to refute? They had no choice. Dr. Paul Marist calls this positive evidence from a hostile source. Think about that. Positive evidence from a hostile source. In essence, if a source admits a fact that is decidedly not in its favor, the fact is genuine. Now, if Mary Lou got a ladder, snuck up into the second floor of your house, broke in a window, and went and stole all your food, I don't know, and that catcher, and they haul her in, what's the first thing the defense attorney is going to try to say? She wasn't there. And so the homeowner says, but I had cameras, and I could definitely see Mary Lou in her burglar outfit going through my house and raiding my refrigerator. What's the defense attorney going to do at that point? Okay, she was there, but she wasn't really stealing the stuff. Borrowing it or something. There'd be a reason why she stole your food. She was very hungry because Lee wouldn't feed her. You know how he is. <laughs> when they get to the point in the defense where they have to admit, yeah, yeah, she was there. That's what they did here. The evidence was too strong. They couldn't argue with it anymore. The fact of the matter was, the tomb was empty. They could not fight anymore on that point. So, New Testament scholars agree that the burial story is one of the best established facts about Jesus. That is one of the best. Funny thing about historical writings, and we don't, we don't question them typically. We find an old writing and we read, you know, about uh, King Tut or Alexander the Great or whoever it is. We like, oh, wow, that's really cool. And nobody says, I don't believe a word of it. When it comes to the Bible, they want to look at overwhelming evidence and say, yeah, we don't believe a word of it. Why do we hold the Bible up to a different standard? Especially when there's so much more writing on what Scripture tells us than there is on virtually any other historical writing of what's going on. Here's another problem. Joseph of Arimathea. Joseph of Arimathea, you know the story. He came, got the body, he buried it. Joseph of Arimathea was, um, he was a member of the Sanhedrin, which is basically this, what we would call the Supreme Court. Now, we have this little religion that started in Ion. It's picking up steam and becoming very popular. It's threatening the, the, uh, the social and, and economic and uh, political uh, power of the land because of how strong it's becoming and, and all this. And the, the leaders of this movement say, yeah, well, uh, Justice Kennedy from the Supreme Court came and picked up the body and buried it in his tomb. What would Justice Kennedy do? Uh, that never happened. You would never pass it. They named him by name. Buried by name. Justice Joseph of Arimathea came and got the body and buried it in his tomb. And that body came out of there. He would have argued. It would have been public knowledge that he refuted and denied that. But he didn't. The people in the working class were just too well known during that time. You would have never passed it by. If the burial account is accurate, then, then everyone knew where Jesus was buried. I mean, it was, everybody knew. Everybody knew where Jesus was. So again, you couldn't pass the story off because everybody knew right where it was one of the most, it was the most popular thing uh, that happened 
during that time period. This would have been decisive evidence to refute the early Christians. There would have been people all over to say this religion is false. It is a fraud. We know right where he was buried. We know exactly what took place. It did not happen. But when you have 500 people saying, yeah, I was there. I saw it. I watched him. I talked to him. I I watched him put him in the grave. I watched him bury him in the tomb. I watched him wrap him up. And yet I was talking to him just a few days later. You got 500 people. It's a little hard to refute that. It's a little hard to go against that. If the burial was only, and the death of Jesus and and the resurrection was only legend, you would expect different stories within the legend. That's what legends do. I mean, everywhere you go, the legend's a little bit different. It gets passed down from generation to generation and changes. But the story of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection doesn't change. No matter where you go, no matter what, how long, it's the same story. And it... Another thing, well, let me back up here. Another thing that's important is that Jesus' tomb was not ever um, venerized as a, as a shrine. That's what they did. When you had a religious leader, a powerful, mighty religious leader during that time, and that person died, they created a shrine. There was 50 of them in, around Jerusalem during that time, where that was a shrine that people went to, and they prayed to this creature, or whatever it is, and you know. But Jesus' wasn't. It was never held as one of the greatest uh, impactful religious leaders of that day, and yet his tomb was not venerated as a shrine. Why? Because there was no bones in there. There was nothing in there. There was nothing to venerate. And so we, we look at all this evidence, and we look at the fact that, that so many people saw it, and somebody... And, and I said this before, I want to reiterate, somebody would have written an opposition to it. Somebody would have done it. Look at today. If you were to decide, if you were to, decide to run for president, and if you were, uh, definitely if you said you were going to run as a Republican president, <laughs> every news reporter on the planet would be scouring every dollar you ever spent. Every word you ever said, every person you ever talked to, even on the other side. Remember when Barack Obama burst on the scene and he said that I went to, where did he go, Harvard and Columbia University? Immediately they ran to those schools and they started talking to people. Do you remember him? Do you remember him? Anybody remember him? Oh yeah, we finally found somebody that remembers him. This is what would have happened. This is what happened during Jesus' day. They were looking for a way to refute what the disciples were saying. They were looking for it. They wanted it. So there's only a couple of options. Either the disciples were lying, they were hallucinating, or they really actually saw the risen Christ. Right? Those are the only options. But were they lying? Here's the problem. Those disciples laid their life on the line for this story. Now you will... You'll put your life on the line for a lie that you think is the truth. You may do that. But you're never going to put your life on the line for a lie that you know is a lie. You're not going to do that. You know, you think back to to Watergate. As soon as they started looking at prison time and how things were going to go in there, they started doing this. Yeah, this is what really happened. It doesn't take long. 
it always amazes me in my line of work, you're starting to talk to somebody and the word jail triggers something in there. And all of a sudden they start speaking and telling me what all I have to do is mention jail and immediately they start telling me what I want to know. When, you're, when your life is on the line, you will end up dead if you don't tell me the truth. No 10 or 12 or 15 or whatever amount of people, not just the apostles were crucified or killed. I shouldn't say crucified, not just the apostles were killed. Many first century people were killed for the belief in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They put their life on the line for this story. Somebody would have broken Somebody would have said it's a lie. This thing is not true. How about their hallucinating? Problem is with that, we don't have the same hallucination. I mean, I come in here and say, hey, wasn't that dream I had last night great? And you would look at me and say, you're an idiot. I don't know what you're talking about. We don't have the same hallucination, even if we're hallucinating. <laughs> you have... Scores of people with the exact same hallucination. That doesn't work. The only other choice is the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. The story is true. That's the only other possibility. See, religious leaders had come and gone. Lots of them. Acts 5.34 talks about it. It says, then stood up. One in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law and in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do is touching these men. For the, before these rose up Thudius, boasting himself to be somebody, to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain and all, and all and as many as obeyed him were scattered and brought to naught. After this rose up Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. He also perished. And all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. And now I say to you, refrain from these men. Let them alone. For if this counsel or the work be uh, of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest haply ye be found even to fight against God. I have no idea whether Gamaliel actually knew what he was saying at that time, but he gave a prophetic message that was absolutely true. If this is not of God, it will go away. But if it is of God, we don't want to be on the wrong side of that picture. We do not want to be uh, in opposition to God. Isaiah 53, clear back in the Old Testament predicted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 16 predicted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Psalm 22 predicted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is prophesied throughout Scripture. Even Jesus wandered around Jerusalem. Matthew 16, 21 says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples that how, how He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. The evidence is overwhelming. But people say, I want extra biblical evidence. <laughs> I want something outside of the Bible. And I've told you many times, this is extra biblical. And by that, what I mean is nobody sat down one day, picked up a pen, and said, I'm going to write the Bible. 
They sat down and wrote a book or a letter. They didn't write the Bible. The things were included into the Bible through the canon later on. When they were writing, I seriously doubt that Paul, Peter, any of the others thought, I'm going to sit down and write the Bible today. So they are extra-biblical writings. Because that's what, the way they were written. But if they want to argue it, fine. And I could go through all these, but I don't want to do that to you. But I'm just going to tell you. This is just a few of the first and second century writers who wrote of the fact of Jesus' resurrection. Flavius Josephus, the Jewish Talmud, the treatise on the resurrection, Ignatius, bishop of Antioch, Quandratus, uh, Justin Martyr, Ignatius, Clement, Phlegon, Acts of the Pontius Pilate, the Gospel of Thomas, Saturnius, Valentius, Marabarsarapian. Yeah, yeah, don't make me say that three times now. Lucian, the emperor of Hadrian, the emperor Trajan, Pliny the Younger, Thales, Gaius, Suetonius, Tranquilius. I'm sure glad I don't have to sign his name. Cornelius Tacitus. Those are just some of the extra biblical writers who spoke of the birth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Those that weren't in the Bible. So why is the resurrection important? Because if the resurrection is true, this book is true. Because Jesus told us how important the scripture was. And if the resurrection is true, then what Jesus said about himself is true. Who did he say he is? He said he was God. Jesus acknowledged that he is God. They tried to pin him on it. And he said, me who talked to you is, is he. I'm the one right here. You're talking to him. And if what he said of himself is true, what he said about Scripture is true. And it proves that Christianity is real and not just any other religion. You'll hear people say, I have studied all the different religions looking for truth. No, you've studied a bunch of heresy looking for heresy. Because there's only one religion that carries the weight of prophecy, thousands of prophecies. It carries the weight of history, it carries the weight of the evidence, it carries the weight of everything to substantiate what it says, and that is Christianity. And if the gospel of Jesus Christ is true, we are fools to not obey it and follow it. But it also proves, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and that He is who He says He is, and Scripture is what, it says it is, what He says it is, and, and Christianity is the real religion, it also proves that God will one day judge the world. The Apostles in Acts 17 says, uh, the, I'm sorry, the Apostle in Acts 17 says, Now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because He hath appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom He hath ordained, Whereof he hath given him assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Judgment is coming. 
It is true. It is real. There's only one escape from judgment, and that is by the blood of Jesus Christ. It is by surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't find it any other way. It can't be up here. It has to be in here. You can't just decide, I'm a Christian. There's so many people, you ask them, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Let me ask you something. You think some guy walking out of his house in Moscow, Russia, and yelling at the top of his lungs and saying, I'm an American! Is he an American? Makes absolutely no difference whatsoever what we say. Because there are certain things that have to be done to become an American. Sneak over the border, under the fence, anything like that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) To be a Christian, there has to be more than an intellectual acknowledgement. It is a life-changing experience where Jesus Christ becomes the Lord God of your life in absolute certainty. It's not a halfway thing. It's not a partial thing. You don't just say, I'm a Christian. You don't just, you don't just acknowledge it. It changes your life. That faith in the, the truth of the gospel changes your life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves that there is a genuine hope. There is a judgment, but with that judgment, there is a genuine hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. Because not only did He die, not only was He buried, but He rose again. And He provided victory. He went and He wrestled the keys of death, hell and the grave away to buy our victory. Heaven is real, folks. If the Bible says it's real, it's real. Oh, well, that's just a myth. No, it's not a myth. Because the Bible has been proven too many times. A lot smarter men than me have tried to refute what that book says. And they have failed every single time. Because this book is real. What Jesus says is real. We will be resurrected with Him, according to Romans chapter 6. We will be resurrected with Him. The evidence is there. The proof is there. If you reject that evidence, it's on your own head. Because the evidence is there. But when you look at the fact that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. He paid the price for our sin. He provided salvation, and there is hope in Him. There is no greater joy than knowing that when this old body breaks down and and falls to the ground, my God will be waiting for me in glory, and He has a place prepared for me, and He has a place prepared for you. That's what salvation is all about. Our sins washed away and a blessed hope that comes in Jesus Christ. Father, I pray for these people right now. Every single one of them, Lord, I pray for them right now. There's no doubt, God, that you died on a cross, that you were buried, and that you rose again. Only a fool would reject that, Lord. It's the, the, the evidence is more than sufficient in any court, Lord. You proved it. God, I pray that every single person here that has an intellectual knowledge of God will now have a heart-spirit relationship with Almighty God and be born again. Hallelujah.